Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I just want to pop in here for a second before we get started with the show and just say the Patreon is live. So if you want to go over there and hang out with us on the Patreon, building that community, that's patreon.com backslash uh, conscious environment creation. So patreon.com backslash conscious environment creation. And over there we have promo codes for the bonfire site so you can get a little bit off on your merch, whatever you want to grab over there. But we have behind-the-scenes footage. You guys can vote on different topics. If you want to be the producer level, you can actually just have whatever you want me to make a podcast about within reason, and I will make it. So let's let's hang out together. I can't wait to keep building this community with you. All right, on with the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Conscious Environment Podcast. I hope you guys are very excited because I got a chance to sit down with Corey Hutchinson, the creator of Ovico. And what Ovico has created underneath its umbrella is a series called Arcana Legends. Now, Arcana Legends is a little bit of everything, but right now it's a manga and it's a card game. So this is going to be a continuation of our discussion of blurreds and blurred culture. Like, what does it mean to be a black nerd? What does that look like when you enter those spaces? And we talked to Corey about everything. Uh, best practices when creating characters. Uh, what's it like to try to teach yourself animation or drawing styles in real time as you're creating all of this stuff? So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I hope you check out Arcana Legends. The way that I start off the podcast here is just uh, say, what's your name? What do you do? And where can people find you? Like as far as like socials and stuff like that. My name is uh, Corey Hutchinson. Um, I am the creator of a company called Ovico. We made a card game slash uh, media franchise called Arcana Legends. That's what we're working on. And uh, you can find me here on TikTok uh, under Koki Konshiki. Uh, we have a website, arcanalegends.com, and uh, that'll have all the rest of our socials on it. Cool, cool. So uh, do me a favor for, for the folks that are trying to uh, play catch-up. Can you spell Arcana? Yeah, it is uh, A-R-C-A-N-A. Uh, that's how you spell Arcana. And it's Legends uh, with an S. Cool. Dot com. Awesome. And you, you know, it's funny. Um, so the way that me and you just ran across each other was like, we were just having a conversation back and forth in, in the comments and I jumped over to your page. Um, and I saw, I, I saw the arcane legend stuff and I commented real quick. I was like, yo, this is dope. Like <laughs> This stuff is awesome, man. Um, this is amazing. When I have you on, uh, so I'm glad that you were able to come on and, and, and make it with me and talk about this stuff. Uh, for the last couple of weeks or so, um, on and off, we've talked about like blurred culture and w what it means, uh, especially for like a the like a black artist um, or minority artist, a marginalized group to try to break into something that seems to be occupied by somebody else at the time. And y'all have, you've done everything. Like it's a, it's a webtoon, right? It's a, it's a webtoon. It's a card game. It's it, what, what am I missing? Uh, a web novel. We also have the web novel. 
Awesome. Uh, are we getting into, uh, well, that's, that's, that's what the web two is an animation or anything like that down the pipeline, like a full show. No, no time soon. Because the thing about it is the sheer startup cost to make any kind of animation is crazy. Like you could easily spend 10 grand on 30 seconds of animation. So, you know, you should save that down the pipeline. Not only once you have a grown a base, but once you can really put the, the money into it so that you're getting the kind of quality. I, I'm always quality first. So I didn't try to draw it myself. I made sure that I had an artist on deck that could do the work. And until that didn't work out, and now I'm learning how to draw. But right. I'm always quality first. I will never deliver a substandard product. That's amazing, man. And so let's, yeah, let's talk about that because I saw some of your other videos where it looked like you kind of like going through the process. And I love to see like the work in process or like in progress of like, you know, it seems like a sketch, simple sketch of a character. And then like you make a video like a day or two later and it's like a more detailed sketch and then there's color. And I'm like, whoa, this thing is getting cool. So Arcana Legends for the un. Un- uninitiated i know the pinned video if you go to uh his page on tiktok the pin the pinned video does this really really well does like the whole roadmap it gives you like a, a really good breakdown of what it is but just for those who are listening right now or popping on what is arcana legends if somebody were to jump into the property what should they expect from it so arcana legends is uh it's an umbrella that a lot of different properties are going to be under. And so it's based in the idea of a world where spirits and humans kind of live together. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened. Certain humans gained certain abilities. And so now we're exploring uh, not only the present day of what's going on in that world, but a lot of the histories, because there's an entire mythology that we set up for it. Um, but we're also card gamers. That's what in, in my uh, junior year, I started playing the Naruto collectible card game and it just I fell in love with it. It was basically the first game I played on a professional level. And so I always wanted to make one. And what I found made the Naruto card game so special was the Naruto IP. It was the lore they had behind it and how they translated that into the mechanics of the game. So when we were deciding to make the card game, we were like, what are we going to base it on? Because that was the, the key part is to make sure that the lore creates interesting mechanics and the interesting mechanics creates interesting lore. And so that's how we split it up. And so you have Arcana Legends, the card game, and there's going to be a manga based on it's going to kind of be based on our adventures when we were playing card games. I mean, we still do, but, you know. Um, you have the actual lore of the series, which is in the world itself with the main characters, Daimian and um, Daimian Chase and Kiana. And then you have side stories that go into the past, sometimes in the future, explore minor characters and what their stories are. Because a lot of the complaints you hear about modern manga very often is the side character has so much potential. Why were they wasted? And I don't want to hear it. So (laughs) (laughs) a place where those things could be explored. Cool. Cool. So I'm. Was I understanding correctly from your your other video 
that the characters... So is the card game in-world, or is the card game based off of the world? Exactly. The card game is based off of the world. It's not in-world. Oh, okay. Alright, so card game is based off of the world, and the adventures... They're, are they card gamers, or, or what, what are those kind of adventures that they're going that they're going on so for instance there's a the character so the main character diamond himself is a wind naturalist so he can control he can absorb the energy that is called arcana and generate wind and so the main story has him exploring the world learning about his powers getting much stronger and protecting a girl called kiana who has her own incredible potential and she's trying to work towards it but he needs to help her um, and that's in the world itself. And that's the, the main plot of the main story. But on the other hand, you have the, the comic book, the, the web comic. The web comic centers around a different character, Koki and his wife, Josephine. And they get attacked out of nowhere. And they have to now get to the bottom of who attacked them and why. And they introduces you to a different part, a different organization that's within that world called the Veiled. They're kind of like the CIA of Arcana Legends world. And so it's a whole different aspect, but it's all within the same world. Where the card game comes in is that the same way that um, Yu-Gi-Oh! is based off of the Duel Monsters card game, and then the Duel Monsters has its own lore with the Pharaoh and how the monsters came to be, the, the card game is like that. So even though the card game is completely outside of the actual lore it's still like the characters who play the card game in its manga is going to are going to know about the lore inside the show oh okay yeah so that so that was my question so there so the card game that you play is the card game that they play am i understanding that correctly the characters in the manga play the card game yeah, the characters in the manga play the card game and will play the card game. We'll physically have the card game. And right, right, right. And we also play the card. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Like, because there's always, I mean, that was my first card game was, was Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, more than just like, yeah, the show and the manga were, were cool. I, that's how I got introduced to it. But dual, ma- <laughs> that was the. That was the cool part. Like that was the thing I wanted to do. I liked the the lore behind the cards themselves. I thought that was much more. I, I thought that was super interesting, and then the adventures surrounding it are a lot of fun too. Um, so, what are your what was your inspiration for this? I know that you said that you you drew on just the feeling that you got from playing the Naruto game, but is there any like other favorite mangas or anything that you were like, oh, this is kind of, not where I took the idea from, but like this, this inspired me or what, what made you come up with the Arcana Legends world? Well, honestly, my best friend created the premise of Arcana Legends and he originally wrote the entire story out back in high school. Um, and his, he really didn't have any big influences. I mean, I don't even think Avatar had finished at that time. And that's probably the closest we would get to anything of a similar breath. I mean, honestly, we, we've been creative since day one. So we've always had a lot of ideas. And this is just kind of like the one that we landed on. 
Um, but of course, you know, when we retuned it, we took a lot from different power systems. Like, I really love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I love the dynamics in that show and how the fights become more puzzle-esque. And so that influences the way that I write the characters and kind of tune the abilities. Um, you know, I love how Avatar, there's a lot of different elemental uh, power systems throughout all of manga and anime and so on and so forth. But there's a tendency for them to go wide instead of deep. But Avatar did it the other way. So instead of a character making giant amounts of water or it being like, oh, water beats fire or anything like that, water has its own attributes. It's a flowing type thing. So they work on counters and things of that nature. They really paid attention to the uh, to how uh, elements work instead of trying to gamify it. And I really right. like that we incorporated that. Awesome. That's super cool. And so you 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 have the the manga and in, in uh that that's coming in the works. You have the card game that's in the works. You got the webtoon that's coming and and up right now. Is there something on webtoon right now that people can jump into? Is there a storyline that's going? So the Cohen Joe uh, first issue, I broke it into three chapters so I could get it on the webtoons. Um, but it's available to read right now. You can go read that. Um, the web novel itself is like 30-something chapters in. Um, I took a break from writing that so that I could actually improve my drawing skills and get that up to par. And, um, yeah, the card game, that's going to come a little bit later. I'm giving myself the time because, once again, like I said, it's all about quality for me. And so I want to make sure that when I bring it out, it's going to hit. It's going to be that professional level that I expect. Amazing. So a little bit of elephant in the room, I guess. Uh, when we talk about, like, uh, like blurred culture, the fact that there is a, a, a term – blurred that exists like implies that there it's in response to or in addition to something else you're making it high fantasy and i've talked to a a a bunch of people that that make um different properties kind of in this genre like anything that has magic or you know whatever have you gotten any pushback from the community or have you gotten any dismissal has has anything kind of been brought up in the same in the vein of like you're not supposed to be here uh no not really it's um one i I think the big thing is that especially on this app there that community already exists and it's already so well integrated that you actually just find a lot of love rather than a whole lot of people you know coming at you sideways about it and then, I mean, the, the only real negative pushback I ever got was based on Koki having lightning-based abilities. <laughs> and it was like, oh, black man with lightning powers. We're tired of seeing him. I'm like, well, I mean, the, I have a cast of characters. Somebody, Lightning's one of the elements in the story. Somebody got to have it. And <laughs> the way I did it, I, I always, I'm very much so, a, it's not the trope, it's how you employ it. So even if you don't like a black person with lightning powers, he doesn't just use lightning powers. He uses chains. And the I very rarely do you find a character whose main weapon is chains. And so just because they're chains of lightning, it, it shifts the dynamic and the way that he uses them. I try to be very creative 
I mean, that's the whole point is to be creative. Right. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And I looked at your, your property a, a little bit from what I could, what I could find and what I could see and the couple of things that I uh, like were reading and y- you, there isn't, you don't make just all black characters like you don't make just all white anime characters or anything like that. It's kind of blended. Is that, is that anything as you're drawing or you're getting artists to draw and they give you these images? Is that anything that, that crosses your mind that somebody's going to think about like, Oh man, you're making white characters or, or is it, does it not matter? Um, (laughs) I guess what I would say is that um, it's not that it doesn't matter at all, but it's one of those things where my beauty standard and what I found find aesthetically appealing has shifted and evolved so much over the years that I can't just make characters of any one particular shade. It just doesn't work in my mind. When I design a character and design a personality and design a skill set and ability, uh, a vision starts to form of what this person is going to look like. And if I made everybody the same way, it just, it wouldn't fit that vision anymore. So I love creating diverse characters, but I don't ever feel pressured either way to create anybody of any particular color, skin, race, hair type. I'm just going to make what I want to make. And if people are going to get mad about it, they're just going to have to be mad. (laughs) Well, I mean, when you work in the arts, man, it, it somebody's going to get mad about any, it, it don't matter what you do. You could do anything, you could do nothing and somebody going to be mad about it. Uh, we are talking about our arcana legends. Um, we're talking about it, it, it. Somebody's asking right now in the comments, are you talking about creating comics or are you talking about creating novels? Yes. Is, is the answer to that. Uh, uh, we're talking about creating a, a, a little bit of everything. Um, as, as, uh, our, I guess here is writing and, uh, creating these new worlds and these new characters and something I've noticed. And as I've learned, like I was an anime kid growing up, I, I always love magic and high fantasy and things like that. Uh, so it's nothing that it's new to me, but something that I've noticed that people are, as people are writing like newer, more contemporary things is a way to get around race is that there isn't any, if that makes sense. Like their skin color is irrelevant to like in your world, there's no such thing as race. People just look the way that people look. We interpret them as race, but they don't see it as race, but usually differences create conflict. So is there, are there like tribes? Is it, between magic users, uh, if you're a lightning guy and you're a water guy, you don't like each other. Um, I don't. I, I didn't mean to do the elemental thing. Let's do lightning and fire. So so it's not like Pokemon, like obviously <laughs> elemental. But is there uh, is there conflict based off of differences like like that? Like what what's the actual conflicts that happen? Okay, so it depends on which story which part of the story and which part of the world you're exploring. Of course, there are going to be civil conflicts and the characters aren't just that way, just based on visualization. It's always based on adaptation, what their abilities are. So, you know, if you have darker skin, you tend to come from the Southern part of the, one of the Southern continents where there's more sun. It's an adaptation. Like, like it really was. 
And I try to apply that model um, regardless. So people ad- adapt in certain ways, and so that does affect the character designs themselves. And as far as conflict-wise, while the main conflict isn't really all that geopolitical or that complicated, there are a lot of... The main conflict is about a, a spirit of particular power and trying to gain that power. But there are always little smaller side contact, side conflicts that are either civil or based in the dominant world power, which is the um, the order of the Radiant Wisp, which most of the main characters exist within. And so because of them, the, the structure of the world puts the naturalists, that's everybody with elemental powers, on top of everybody else. And that in and of itself causes conflicts because, you know, naturalists don't innately have control of their abilities. So somebody had to keep order or, you know, places were going to get wiped off of the map. And that's what the order does. But it's not just because they serve a necessary purpose doesn't mean that the order is morally pure or morally good. They still use many different methods to enforce their, their way, including the veil that I was talking about. The veil will cool, cool a person really quickly if they don't like who you are and what you're doing. If you step out of line, they, they will come in and handle that. And it's rife with its own corruption. Um, but I'm not going that's a kind of a spoiler bit. That'll thing. <laughs> so you have all those different things, but the places where you'll see a lot of that is within those side stories I was talking about, rather than in the main story. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's that's awesome. Like, I'm thinking. Uh, I I was just as you as you were talking, I was I was just kind of thinking like, who's his fire nation? Like 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 the the the, the group that you're like, oh man, not these. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um. It, it, yeah, that? that's it's so. When designing, I I just kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about the 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 powers of your characters um i've always been like super interested in like metaphysical stuff i was the, the, i if i have an opportunity to be i'm going to be some sort of mage or some sort of magic wielder in whatever way that i possibly can um and it, as as you're talking about people that use elemental powers how does that power set work or how do you how do you come up with the way that the powers get used like you were describing the lightning powers is actually used by chains of lightning um like a like a physical kind of like thing that a corporeal like item it, it grabs you or something like that or can wrap you up or or something like that how do you come up with these ideas? Like if you're thinking of fire or you're thinking of something like that, do you just use like the four natural elements of our world or is there unique things? Well, there's, there's really closer to nine elements, but it's, there's nine things that operate as elements. There's lightning, there's fire, there's wind, there's earth, water, and lastly, ice are the main six. But then there are two others, and then there's spirit as a, as a whole. And so everybody has a spirit within the world. That's the, the origin of the world is spirits. So before there was anything physical, there were spirits, and those spirits were made of arcana. And so everything is made out of arcana. And the, the idea is that you're not only absorbing arcana 
to create these elements, you are fundamentally manipulating the fabric of reality because it's all made of arcana. You know what I'm saying? And because of that, you can make solid water the same way that you can make solid lightning. So at that point, it's like, what do you want to do now that you have that affinity? What actually works for your purposes? Koki created Chain Lightning because he needed something with utility and he was training to be an assassin. And Chains of Lightning helped him get there because lightning is uh, it's a high energy thing in our real world. So it's high energy in their world. And so it's draining to use lightning as in its natural state. So he was like, well, why don't I fashion something out of it that will give me the benefits without giving me without me having to consider these negatives and that's how we we kind of work with it throughout the the throughout the series for instance there's a character called uh, aurora and she's a spiritualist she's like the highest level of what a naturalist can achieve and in one encounter she turns a lake solid it's still a lake if you get past the tension point you will swim in that lake but you can stand and walk on it too and it's it's part of what makes the system different in and in of itself, but it's like, what happens if you're able to fundamentally change the properties of the elements? What can you come up with once you do that? That's awesome. And how do you, how do you make, I guess, controls for that kind of power? Like, cause that, that kind of power set sounds, sounds awesome, but it also sounds a little OP. So how 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 do you rope those characters in? Is is there like an elemental um, uh, uh, like kind of battle? I suppose like does one element uh, have? Is there like a kind of a rock paper scissor mechanic with your elements? No, actually, the, see what allows it to be balanced is the characters themselves rather than the powers. No matter how powerful Koki is, there's a desire not to completely wipe places off of the map. And so he doesn't use that kind of power. But when the occasion calls for it, he'll do it. Now, there are a lot of naturalists who don't have that level of power, obviously. You know, there's levels to this. You know, you can start as a novice and then go all the way up to advanced. Then you're a master and then you can do the final test and then you become a spiritualist. And the main difference between each of them is how much uh, how much arcana they can absorb and how much arcana they can manipulate at a time. And so Koki is a master, or at least that's where he would be ranked, while Aurora is a spiritualist, which is the difference between those two is that a spiritualist has a connection directly to the spirit world. And so they basically have unlimited arcana fundamentally. So they're way more powerful. But then you have to th- consider that the spirits themselves have that same kind of power, if not more so. So if you can partner with a spirit, you can do that. So the balancing mechanism is that everybody's broken and everybody's reasonable. <laughs> Nobody's just like, I'm going to destroy the world for the sake of destroying the world. No, I have to live on the world. I have my things. Even if I'm evil, there's a level of reason I have to apply. You know? Right, right. I want to take over the world, but if I destroy this entire continent, that's never going to be usable again. I, I don't. That's not smart of me. <laughs> that is. Oh, I, I, I get here. I, I, I like that a lot, man. I like that a lot because I feel like a lot of times where shows or uh, stories end up 
kind of getting boring is you have a character whose motivation is just pure evil and what where where the writers get into like a like an issue that writers get into and I kind of I'm I'm working my way up to asking you how you avoid this sort of thing but where I see a lot of writers get into an issue is they have to kind of nerf or waffle those powers a little bit. So you introduce this character that's supposed to be the big bad. And in order for you to show everybody in the audience that they're the big bad, they do something big and insane. Great. But the problem with doing that is now you've established how powerful they are. And if your heroes aren't that powerful, now we have a broken system because what, how do they ever beat that thing unless you you as the writer just decide well he's not as powerful today that's why he could win like uh, i mean there's so many times and ah, man am i gonna get in trouble for saying this there's so many times that goku should have really lost like but he didn't actually lose because they kept showing us like how powerful like whoever it was was and the way that they kind of got around that was they did the hero's journey thing they the Z fighters are always going to lose the first fight and they're always going to win the eighth fight and and that's just every single story every single one that's how you know it's going to go but you adding this kind of mechanic or or this kind of rule for writing that your characters are logical um how do you how, how do how do you establish that for yourself? Like when you were creating, do you have like a list of rules or or kind of things that are in the writer's room, like in your head? Like I'm never gonna do this. I'm never gonna do that. This can't happen. This can't happen because it's gonna mess everything up. So th- there are two people who I got a lot of writing advice from, and one is called Mister B Tongue on YouTube. And he has these great videos about how to make um, uh, they're mostly on video games, but they describe the writing of video games. And so he has uh, a good one called uh, Shandification. And the idea of Shandification is you need to ask the simple questions so that you can understand the fundamentals of your universe. So uh, his example was, what do they eat? It's a simple question. What do they eat? So did you build a Did you build a town around a nuclear bomb? And no fresh water source? Okay, so what do they eat? They, they don't eat anything because you didn't care about that because you didn't fundamentally build your world. You were looking for a cool set piece. So it, it's a, just a simple lesson in thinking things through. And there's Hello Me and um, Overly Sarcastic Productions. They do a lot of really good ones. And so one of my favorite rules is there's always a power ceiling. There's always somebody at the top and then everybody kind of falls below it. And my villain's not at the top. In fact, I'll argue that the more powerful your villain is, the more reason they have to have in order for the the show to make sense. Because if your villain is powerful and a genius, why haven't they accomplished their goal? But if your villain is a genius but not powerful, it makes a lot more sense. I can't necessarily mm. that the villain can't necessarily pick you on head on head. Like the Joker's a really smart villain. But in the grand scheme of things, he's very, very weak. He's a dude who can be beaten up pretty easily. 
But right. for instance, they've given a few times they've gone beyond that. They, uh, for instance, there's uh, the Batman who laughs, who's just a Batman version of Joker, but he gained the powers of Doctor Manhattan, so he could change the world. And it got really crazy. It was like a almost end of everything scenario. That's what Dark Knight's uh, metal was hinged on. And then there was the time he got the powers of Mister Mixopedalic, the fifth dimensional ink, and yeah. tortured Batman for millennia eons. So they so DC writers understand this, and I've picked up that lesson too. The the craftier and more intelligent your villain is, the weaker they have to be on purpose, so that they have so they show off that intelligence. And the more powerful they are, the less reason it is. Because now it's now it's about why aren't they using that kind of power? And so we use a couple of different methods. My favorite one is Bones, the mentor of the main character, Bones, is the power ceiling for the most part. And the main villain, Sid, has craft behind him rather than sheer power. In fact, Sid isn't even a naturalist. So he doesn't have any elemental powers at all. Instead, he uses these... Uh, these curses and blessings that are tattooed onto him. And one is a curse of uh, haste that will force a naturalist to explode because they'll absorb and release too much arcana. And his other one is a, I forgot what the other blessing was, but that that's his concept. Yeah. I, um, I just, I just had a good one and I lost it, but I have another one though. The, the one that always, I think of, and I'll I'll ask you about this too, like with uh, items or like MacGuffins or things like that. I it, did you ever see the movie Bright? I feel like I talk about this movie yeah. all the time. Did you ever see the movie Bright? It was on uh, Netflix. It was a Will Smith thing oh, about yeah. like yeah, yeah. If there was, it was basically like what if fantasy stuff, but like still L.A. Uh, and the thing that made me so mad about that movie. And the thing that I think a lot of people did not like about that movie was the wand mechanic. So the wand is established as this super powerful thing. If the wrong person touches it, it explodes and kills everybody in the vicinity, blah, 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 blah. It's the most powerful thing that you've ever seen. Good, great. It's this MacGuffin that they got to go get. And not even like a MacGuffin. It's just this fetch quest kind of thing because they are going to use it for something. So they're on the way to go get this thing. But we know as the audience that it's the most powerful thing that will probably actually kill them if they if they actually get the thing. And then the end of the movie happens. They get it and nothing happened. Like the bad thing that is supposed to happen doesn't happen because the writers wrote themselves into a corner with having this super powerful artifact that they're like, oh, wait, we actually can't do this because if we do it then the movie's over like the like the movie just ends be because of that um so are there magical items i guess in your world and how do you how do you if you have them how do you deal with making sure that you haven't written something that is not even usable well fundamentally it's a stakes issue right so, it, for instance, Dragon Ball Z, every villain past basically the Saiyan Saga can blow up the planet at any time, and they just choose not to. And the problem is when you get to the point where the world is the stakes, two things that can happen. You're going to end the story, 
or the heroes are going to win. And since most writers are inevitably just hesitant to just end the story, the heroes are going to win. And it makes it very predictable. And MacGuffins have the exact same problem. If the MacGuffin is too powerful overall in what it does, uh, it, it's just going to end the story. But it, otherwise, the hero is basic. You've made your story entirely too predictable by making it so. The only scenario is your hero wins. So what you do is make it so that you're prepared to use it. If you have a MacGuffin, make sure it's something that's going to be used. And while we don't really have a MacGuffin, the closest thing to that would be a particular set of spirits. But those spirits deliver on everything we say about them. They're going to do it. It's not a... It's an omen rather than a, a, a warning. <laughs> it's right. going to happen. And so because we're willing to deliver on it, even though it might be MacGuffin-ish, one, it's still very plot relevant. And two, you don't know that the bad scenario is probably going to happen. And so it doesn't fall in that category, fortunately. So always be prepared to pull the trigger if you introduce it. You know, it's, it's a Chekhov's gun thing. If the gun is on the wall in Act One, it needs to be used by Act Three, and that's that's how it goes. Right, Earl's why I have it there. And um, uh, the last last thing I'm going to get into because we've talked about items, which you 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 know what you're writing about. We talked about the characters. We talked about races and tribes. If there's any, we've talked about uh, the magic sets, but the, but the thing that we've been kind of dancing around a little bit that I haven't had a chance to ask you about is the spirits themselves. So the one thing I'm kind of uh, curious about is how we're going to avoid the, when, as, as we were actually just talking about predictable storylines, how do you avoid the Pokemon problem? And what I mean by that is, in Pokemon, they've introduced Pokemon that are literally God. And the God of time, and the God of space, and the God of whatever. They're all, they, they have a polytheism system where the main characters of the series now have all met a different or literally the, the God of all Pokemon. And, and, what they've had to do every single time they run into some of these creatures or these entities is they, at the end, by the end of the story, the god has to just be like, nah, you guys don't remember that. And then they just, they just wipe it all away and it's like that adventure never happened because, they, because they're not allowed to know this. Like they're not allowed to know where god lives. So... Ash and all his friends have to forget about that. Um, but if you have, you, like you said earlier, that some of your spirits are just as powerful, if not more powerful, than the main series characters that we're following. So how do you avoid the Pokemon problem with having these beings be in the world? Your heroes have the potential to interact with them, uh, but they don't they don't present a, a situation where there is no more threat. Like if your best friend is God, you don't have enemies anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I mean, well, one, you avoid omnipotence. None of the spirits are omnipotent in and of themselves. Um, they're intelligent beings. So for instance, Tome is the spirit of time. He's probably the second most powerful spirit I I'll probably ever introduce. 
producer in the series because he can rewrite Destiny. He can do that. But his job is not to rewrite Destiny in favor of what he wants. He's writing it to uh, create continuance. So he has his own rules that he follows by. And so he almost operates like... Uh, you've seen What If, uh, Marvel's What If, right? And you've yeah. seen The Watcher, right? So it, it works a lot like that, where the only time he's to interfere is when it is a necessary time, when something is deviating rather than when things are proceeding as possible. And the other way is that the spirits are separated from the humans by the veil. So there's the veiled, but they're named after this uh, this physical barrier between the spirit world and the human world called the veil itself. And so in order to cross into the spirit world and even interact with them, you have to do it. It's an entire plot point of the story to even try that. It's almost the win condition of the villain in and of themselves. Granted, I'm not going to say that. That's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> but the even the most powerful spirits are either in the spirit world or they can only act through other people at that stage until you get over there or they get over here. And that's what the veil is for, to keep them on one side of the barrier or the other. So it's so basically it's just it's just separation, basic separation. And nobody is omnipotent. You can't do everything right. in the world. The the universe has its own will and you can't defy it but so much <laughs> oh that's cool his uh story is actually called the it's veil. called the veil <laughs> uh that's yeah that's that's awesome man i that's a phenomenal answer i've i've heard similar things with like kind of watcher as characters i came up with some characters a while ago helping people uh uh write this thing that never came to fruition but um i read and into the same issue of having a character that is supposed to be a Watcher-esque character. So how do you have a Watcher-esque character that can interact with the main cast and can see everything and there still be conflict? Like, how can you have a character that can see everything and stuff still goes wrong for the main characters because sh shouldn't you just warn them about it? And we tried a bunch of different things. Like, ah, oh, they're not supposed to interfere, but they still could see. And then the thing that we landed on that made the most sense was we had to take them to a different place. So they were in a different world and they could only see what they were looking at, which I know sounds like the obvious answer. They could see everything on the world, potentially, but they had to be looking at it and that was the way that we kind of got around like this omnipotent like you can never have conflict if you once you start making your character so powerful you can never have conflict which it, it i was gonna ask you this but i feel like i don't even have to ask you this because that's the dragon ball z problem what do you do when you keep leveling up your characters to beat the big bad and then now they're more powerful than the most powerful thing that came to get them. And then you start getting into God mode. It, like, literally, they have to start becoming controllers of the universe in order to have any sort of threat. And you have to keep making things that are bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually you do kind of hit, like, a ceiling where it's like... These guys haven't lost a fight in 30 years. They're never going to lose a fight. Nobody's ever going to die. Nobody's ever going to stay dead. If they do die, 
Um, and now they're fighting God. Like it doesn't, nothing matters. This doesn't matter. Like it, it, and how, how interesting could it be? But it, it, it feels like you guys have thought about everything. So when it comes to writing, is it, is it just you by yourself? You said that you were writing the novel, but do you have a team? Is it a, a solo venture with a couple of artists? How, how does, what's the inner workings? So yeah, me and my best friend, we started the whole thing. We have a couple other friends who help us test the card game. That's how they interact with us. But as far as the story ideas and the plot for the main story, that was my best friend's. I, my best friend did all of that, that Amani. Um, as far as the world building and making sure everything makes sense and all the little necessary questions are answered, that's where I come in. I'm the logical part of the 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 logical component of the team that's like, okay, but if they're not exact, if they don't have these things, then what drives them to do what they do? And so I always think through those little things. World building is like my, my specialty. And that's where we've plugged a lot of those holes. (laughs) Um, But then we have, uh, we did have our artist, Joe Jaro, but Joe Jaro is now working. um, He writes, I mean, not writes, he's doing the artwork for vampire, the Buffy, Buffy, the vampire slayer. She has, uh, there's a series where she's much older called Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. And he's doing all the art for it. And he's also working with Hulu on a Hitman, on a Hit Monkey. And so that's why we haven't really brought out anything art-wise since then, because he's been very busy with that. And that's why I have to level up my own skills on that end. But, I mean, it's it's always interesting to have characters who are more powerful. Uh, But I think the easiest way to deal with it is to kind of make sure that they're cordoned off and make sure that you're staying within the purview of your main character. Because uh, regardless of whether you can see me, you don't have to deal as much with the logic of omnipotent beings when your main character is the perspective you're in. Like, he doesn't have any idea that he can call on God to actually help him. And if he does call on God, and there's many series where that's a possibility, it doesn't necessarily mean God is going to answer you the way you want to be answered. And sometimes that's because of their own morals and ethics, because, of course, you know, an omnipotent being has a longer view of things. Just because I can interfere here doesn't mean that that's necessarily smart. Maybe you need this loss so that in due time you can do this thing or that thing. Or maybe you don't need to lose here. So let me, you know, put a little razzle dazzle in here. But if you feel like any character that feels like any problem can be solved for them by, you know, magically praying out has no impetus. There's, there's no reason to do anything. The problems are going to solve themselves at that stage. Right. So you always have to keep a, a little barrier between them and it. Uh, interestingly enough, Mr. B. Tung has a series on this where he's talking about Q from Star Trek. And so what the Star Trek people did is Q, who could snap his fingers and anything could happen, they kept him self-contained to specific episodes. And he has a specific non-interference concept and the people of the enterprise themselves generally want to solve their own problems. So when you deal with God-like beings, it's always important to remember that, you know, what they're, when they do stuff like that, it infringes on our free will. And depending on how your characters are, they might be more mad about that than about potentially losing or whatever the consequences are, you know? Right. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense, man. And that's amazing world building. And I love to see a property like this that starts that 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 
you're you're thinking that on the ground level uh, because I feel like you plug a lot of the holes right from the jump if that's where your brain starts I, I, i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna take that I'm gonna keep that with me how do they eat that's gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that with me man because it's such a silly like simple question but it changes so much of your initial introduction into the world and it also makes you kind of notice like little things that like don't make sense like me and my wife we work we work in film and it, it's funny a lot of times we uh, can see it's like this like uh, like where people lose kind of uh, the the story for the sake of like the gimmick or something like that is like with found footage, and sometimes like you'll be watching something. And it's like where is the camera? Like how is this shot possible? Like how are we seeing what we're seeing right now? And there's been more clever people that have come up with better ideas, but these, but those are the kinds of things that they should have started with with your story when it comes to story writing, is. How does it? How does it work? How does it make sense? Uh, let's see what ML Stone is saying before we get out of here. Do you ever tackle the concept of free will versus determinism? Within this story, no. I have a different story that tries to tackle those concepts um, through personal choices and bonds and things of that nature. But it's always something in my mind as to you know do i know where they're going to end up and would they try to change that themselves because when you create a multi-dimensional character you do have to always consider how they would react to the stimuli you're going to throw at them sometimes it's with rejection sometimes it's with determination and so on and so forth but as far as in the story itself they they have free will they're going to use it and they're never going to feel like um this is this is one of the situations where only one character really understands the nature of the universe to the point where he's like, oh, yeah, we were always going to end up here. Everybody else is just going to be like, I have my motivations and I'm going to use them. <laughs> awesome. So are your uh, uh, last couple questions. So are your spirit characters more kind of like. Um, I guess, like in the vein of like the the way that we hear the stories of like the Greek gods, where they're like, I, I guess, more like personified, like they have their own perceived free will. Like they're not are they are they kind of above it all, or do they commiserate with like the human human or humanoid characters? Like, do they understand humanity, or are they kind of separated from humanity? Like the like for example, like the Greek gods. Uh, uh, another good property that that has God characters that are throughout the entire series is Percy Jackson, and it's favorites. it's funny because the motivation for for like the gods not to interfere is literally they don't want to, and they they set it up that like they just like Zeus has said that they're not supposed to, but like they just. They just really don't care about humanity enough to really want to. They watch humanity. It's almost like TV for them. But they don't they aren't invested in a way where they're like, I have to interfere with this. They don't interfere because they personally don't want to interfere. So do your spirit characters kind of embody a similar thing? They don't interfere because why interfere? Or is there kind of like a is there like an, an overarching thing where they're kind of like we know what's coming down the pipeline, so we're not going to interfere. 
Well, the only spirits that the only spirit that knows that deals in time and can see the future, the past, or any other events is Tome, and Tome has a responsibility that was passed to him from the spirit king, and that's it. And so he's the only one who's privy to that knowledge. The spirit king himself, his objective is to maintain the spirit world, and he controls life and death itself. If he doesn't manage that all kinds of problems would occur because of the way, because of the balances between the two worlds, between the spirit and the regular world. But every other spirit, uh, outside of those two and the six sacred spirits, they, they all have their own motivations and concepts. If you really thought about it, the way that I think about it is the naturalists themselves are like the Greek gods. Because the kind of power that they wield and their influence in the world is godlike. And then you have other naturalists who are a little bit weaker, who are closer to the demigods. Some are worshipped as gods, and some spirits are worshipped as gods. So it's it's kind of almost on an equal footing depending on who you're dealing with. Now, as far as what motivations the spirits have, like I said, it varies. So some are very invested in the progress of humanity or in certain plants that they once created and things of that nature and try to ensure the safety and prosperity of those. And others are like, look, I don't really want to do anything. And there are even other ones who are like, look, if you approach me and you offer me something worthwhile, I will intervene on your behalf. But those tend to be minor spirits because the greater a spirit you are, the more powerful you are overall, the more control over reality you have. What, what can a mortal offer you at that point? So um, one of my favorite examples is the spirit of the adamantite. The adamantite is a spirit that actually exists in the human world. He's an entire mountain. And so once upon a time, there was a family that now took on the adamantite as their last name who occupied and worshipped him and sacrificed to him. And so he bestowed to them particular abilities in addition to their naturalism. And that's just their family spirit. And they can draw power from him. Now, they're not the most powerful families around and they don't work with the order. And so they haven't mastered it the same way, say, a Koki would. But they're still pretty powerful nonetheless. Awesome. I, I, I love it, man. It, it it feels like you guys have so much figured out and I can't wait to see what's next. But for those that are just jumping in or people that have been listening from the beginning but it got lost somewhere in the shuffle, uh, just before I let you go, uh, repeat one more time. What's your name? What do you do? And plug all the things. Let us know where we can find everything. So my name is Corey Hutchinson. Um, I founded OV Corp, and OV and Arcana Legends is a part of it. It's our main property, and you can find basically everything on our website, ArcanaLegends.com, or you can find it through my TikTok, which is Koki Konshki. Uh, K-O-U-K-I-K-A-N-S-H-I-K-I or Arcana Legends A-R-C-A-N-A Legends.com Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with me tonight, man. It was... Uh, I, I had a blast. I... I... I knew I was going to love this property as soon as I saw uh, that, that first video. Yeah, definitely, if you guys are on... Uh, if you guys are on TikTok or you're jumping over to his page, um, please click on the, uh, I think it's the first pinned video, right? Um, yeah, click on the first pinned video if you're like, I need to get like a crash course and catch up. Don't feel like you're too, that, 
you know, it's been going on too long and you're going to be lost or anything like that. If you're like, I want to catch up with like what's like going on or like how they intersect. He's got a whole roadmap like <laughs> that lists everything uh, up to up to now. And I'm sure there's even more stuff uh, after that. But it lets you let you know at least like kind of a quick entry into what the series is where to find it how to get the web tune and all that stuff so definitely do that but thank you so much man uh i appreciate you love you all and you have a you have a good night man i appreciate you inviting me on it was a great talk (laughs) yeah absolutely all right peace peace Thank you so much for tuning into the Conscious Environment Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed recording it for you. And thank you again to my guests for coming and hanging out with me. That was an amazing conversation and I had so much fun with you. We're definitely going to have to do that again. If you want to support the show, there are Cash App and Venmo links down below, as well as a link to our brand new Patreon. And patrons, you don't only get to unlock some exclusive amazing tiers that we have over there, but you get to unlock exclusive pricing at our merch store. So go and check that out. If you can't support the show financially, I completely understand, but a five-star review goes a long way on Apple Music and Spotify and all those places, as well as downloads for some reason. So if you want to help our rankings, uh, just simply download the show. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. But you know what else doesn't cost you anything? Telling a friend or telling your mama. It's going to be their favorite show. And remember, one last thing. I love you. And go drink water. Like right now. Go drink water right now. Stay hydrated. All right. See you next week. Bye.